You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. So as we are gathering, I want you to imagine that we are gathering in our physical sanctuary, if, you, if you're able to do that. I know many of you have been there many times, and some of you haven't been there, but you can imagine a sanctuary with wooden pews and a, and a chancel and a pulpit. And I want you to imagine your fellow spiritual travelers gathering around you. And though we are virtual right now, this is in essence what we are doing. We are creating a sacred space online together, gathering together in this community to remember who we are and who we want to be in the world. And so you can imagine us in the actual sanctuary or know that we are creating that sanctuary, that sacred space right now as we gather together. So now let's let's take a moment as people are still coming into this virtual space, let's take a moment to center ourselves for a time of connection, a time of renewal, a time perhaps of gratitude, a time of tears, all that this hour holds as we remember those things of value and of worth in our lives. We come into this time trusting and hoping that our heartbeat, we will sense our heartbeat joining that larger heartbeat that we are a part of. Hi, everybody. Many of you know that for the past three months, my family was tucked away in a cabin in the woods about five hours from here in northern Minnesota. While we were tucked away, we discovered lots of things. But one of the things that was so interesting for me is that as a new person to Minnesota, um, I'm just recently getting integrated into this whole I mean, I grew up in a place where we went to the beach. We went to the shore down in Jersey. Now, 11 years ago, when I first integrated into this ritual life of Minnesota, the idea of going to the cabin seemed really strange. Like I said, the beach was a summer vacation. On the Jersey Shore, or maybe even Cape Cod, or Martha's Vineyard, or Nantucket, on the boardwalk at night, in Jersey and at the clam shacks along the Cape. I just didn't get the allure of being around a fire, swatting mosquitoes, and doing jigsaw puzzles. But I learned to fit in, have fun, embrace the culture, even though I was psychologically distant and I always had to gaze sort of a, through an anthropologist eye. Until this spring, something happened up on Cass Lake. Aspen and I went on adventures every day, visiting little towns, looking for playgrounds and exploring the woods, lakes and trails. One morning, we were pulling out the old minivan onto the gravel road to get to what we called the smooth road. When I looked ahead and noticed a really funny looking dog. I yelled out to Aspen and I said, that black 
dog sure does have a big butt. Then the dog turned and I saw its face and screamed, Aspen, that's not a dog, it's a bear. Aspen, a bear, a bear. She looked straight ahead and saw it too. And then it scampered away towards the lake through the woods. We had to do something. We had to call somebody. So we called grandma and said, grandma, we just saw a bear. We couldn't stop talking about it. But most of all, we wanted to see it again. We wanted to find it. Now, it was a juvenile and we guessed and we thought maybe mama was around too, which gave us a little pause. Each day after that, we found out more. We told Uncle Charlie down the road and said that the bear was in our, our, near our cabin. And he says, oh, that bear, that bear was laid in my raspberry patch last week. So we went looking for evidence at his cabin. We would see footprints that we thought were the bear. We heard sounds of movement as we walked along the trails and thought it was the bear. One day we walked down the road and smelled the stinky smell and we said, I bet that is the bear's distinctive cologne. Everywhere we went, we wanted to meet the bear again, but we never did. But instead of finding a bear, we learned a lesson. Seeing something special, seeing special things is very cool. We will never be the same because we saw the bear. It was the highlight of my summer an affirmation of my connection to this place, as I have now taken root among the aspen tree roots, all connected, one base, many branches, many trees, one organism. I think that bear was trying to tell me when he glanced back at us that I should follow him, because that's what I discovered in that search for the bear evidence everywhere I look. Follow him. Follow him. Follow and find the deep beauty of, of North Bear so I can live now, live in this place that I have come to love. And I decided, you know, I don't need the ocean. I don't need the fried clams. I've got the woods. So on the way home, we stopped in Brainerd, and guess who we ran into? There were bears everywhere. We were surrounded by small bears, big bears, brown bears, even some grizzly bears. There was no escape. They were everywhere. But we weren't one bit scared. And let me explain what I mean. This is in the second half of March and my family and I are in New Zealand on sabbatical and New Zealand has just gone into one of the strictest COVID-19 lockdowns around the world. We and everyone else in New Zealand couldn't leave our homes, our houses, apartments, whatever it was, unless it was for sort of a daily exercise or for some essential need like groceries or going to the doctor. So suddenly we're in a situation, and many of you are in the situation here, where going out of the house is a really big deal. And we decided as a family that when we left the house, we we're going to take a bike ride together. And honestly, it felt like a little 
mini vacation, this wild adventure out into this world that we were no longer participating in in so many of the ways we had before. So in just a few days into lockdown on one of our bike rides, we noticed something. We noticed bears, itty bitty bears, Mississippi bears. That's a shout out to you uh, Lizzo fans. We noticed, noticed black and brown bears and panda bears and Paddington bears and green bears and be Beanie Baby bears and bears behind steering wheels of cars that were just parked by houses. We noticed families of bears and upstairs windows. Here's just a few pictures of some of the bears that we noticed. There's that bear in a window, there's a family of bears. Now, I don't know who put up the first bear in New Zealand, but the idea was that with such a strict lockdown, Putting out a bear was a way to give children, and let's be honest, a way to give adults as well, something to do when we went out for our daily walk, our daily exercise or bike ride. It gave us something to look forward to. We could go on a bear hunt and see how many bears we could find. This idea, of course, comes from the book, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. And many of you know this book, I suspect, and you probably know the refrain, the one that goes, we're going on a bear hunt. We're gonna catch a big one. We're not scared. We're not scared. And I will tell you, in a time, uh, certainly in New Zealand, I think around the world, when everybody was feeling scared, when borders were closing, when airlines were grounding their planes, when we didn't know how the coronavirus spread and how long it stayed on particular surfaces, and we were taking all of these precautions, and we were watching more and more people get infected, there was a lot of fear that was going around. And so seeing these bears up in windows and all sorts of places in people's homes, it felt like this incredible gesture of kindness and solidarity a way of saying, we're not gonna succumb to the fear. This is a scary time, but we're not gonna come succumb to this fear. And so in this time when there was so much fear and uncertainty, I had this really surprising emotional reaction. I got kind of tearful on one afternoon when Jesse and I, our, our five-year-old, were out biking around and we saw probably a couple of dozen bears and it's just this game. We were like, do you see that one? Do you see that one? There's three over there. And sometimes people would be in the window with the bear, like looking out, waving at us. And it was, um, it was emotional. It was, it brought up some big feelings in me. And so we got back from that bike ride and by some miracle, the house we were renting had a stuffed bear in it. And so Jesse and I got that stuffed bear and put it out by our garage. And I'll show you that picture real quick here. There's that little bear just hanging out by our garage. Now, as Unitarian Universalists, we believe that wisdom and insight and truth can be found in many places. It's not confined to one sacred text or one time in history or one person. It can be found everywhere and it's ongoing, this wisdom that the world and our relationships and kind of our reflection can surface from so many places. And I think maybe as Unitarian Universalists that we see this wisdom perhaps and especially in children's songs and and stories, and not just as you use, I think in general, children's songs and stories can contain real wisdom. They, they disarm us in many ways and then land this solid piece of 
insight or truth just with a with a, a weight in our soul and we're like oh that's i need to remember that so for those of you who don't know the book we're going on a bear hunt or remember all the deals let me just do a quick reminder because i think the teachings of this book are very relevant to this moment and this time we're in right now so in this book a group of kids uh, and an adult i think it's just one adult but maybe there's more than one adult they go out on a bear hunt and as the story progresses they move through this giant field of grass, they move through a river, they move through a mud flat, they move through a, a blinding snowstorm, and ultimately they go into a cave and that's, that's where the bear is. And each time they come to an obstacle, the other refrain in the book is, we can't go over it, we can't go under it. Oh no, we're gonna have to go through it. And so they come along uh, to the grass and it's swish, 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 moving through the really tall grass. And then they come to the river and it's like, dive, sploosh, splash, sploosh, splash. They come to the forest, like stumble, 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 trip, stumble, trip. They come to the mud flats, like squelch, 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 and on and on. It is silly and it's funny and it's true. It reminds us that sometimes whatever we're facing, we can't go over it. We can't go under it. We just have to go through it. Just have to go through it. So whether it's a really big feeling that you're having or this time of global pandemic and COVID-19 or a particular experience that's in front of you in your life or whatever it might be, sometimes you just have to go I suspect we know this is true and we all have moments like this. All of us have moments like this. I remember when Juliana, my wife, was in labor with Jesse, our youngest son, and she's given me permission to share this story. And maybe some of you have heard this before. Um, she'd been in labor for a long time and she was feeling anxious and scared. And the reason for this is I think both she and I were sort of having flashbacks to the labor and birth of our eldest son, which had been a multiple day ordeal and was just exhausting and um, traumatic in, in many ways. And we made it through, but it was, it was hard. And so we were having flashbacks to that earlier birth. And as she, as my wife was laboring and just exhausted, um, Juliana kept, she started to say like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do this. I just can't. I can't, I can't, I can't do this. And those words just hung in that space, hung in that room we were in. And I'll never forget what happened next. Our, our birth doula, this woman that we had been working with who knew our history and knew the story of our first child and his birth and had been really working with Juliana prior to this labor she was in and had been with Juliana all night as she had been laboring this birth doula said in the kindest and gentlest and most direct and clear and loving way, this no nonsense, just straight on heartfelt way, as Juliana was saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. This birth doula looked at her and looked at me and looked at Juliana again and said, but you are, you are doing this. You are doing it. You are doing it right now. And the way that our birth doula said this to us made it clear 
that it wasn't something to argue with. It was simply a loving fact. And when it came to this birth, we couldn't go over it. We couldn't go under it. There were no shortcuts. We just had to go through it. And we did. And really, in fairness, Juliana did. I, I was more of a witness to this, to this birth and this experience, but I felt the truth that the only way to move forward was to go through it. And I think that's where we are right now in this, in this time, in this time of COVID-19, this time when Minneapolis schools will continue distance learning in the fall, this time of uprising and racial unrest, this time when democracy feels so fragile, this time when many of us and those we love are losing jobs and facing housing insecurity or loss of health care. So much of that was showing up in the, the prayer and just this recognition that so many people will be impacted. And I wanted to say again, as we are in this time of great instability and great uncertainty, that it is a system that is failing us. It is not any of us as individuals who are broken or who have failed. It is a system, a system that could provide affordable housing or have housing be a human right, a system that could have healthcare be a human right, and a system that could have a living wage sort of be understood as a human right. And so in these moments, with a culture of individualism and a sense of rugged individualism, the tendency in these moments is to turn inward and to blame ourselves for whatever is happening, to see it as our, our fault, our problem, something we have done wrong. And I wanna to say to you that, that I do not believe that is true. There are systems and architects of those systems that are failing us in this moment. And it's creating intense pressure. It's creating uncertainty and instability in so many of our lives. So we are in this moment where we can't go over it and we can't go under it. We just have to go through it. There are no easy hacks. There are no quick fixes. There's no workarounds. Going through it is testing us to our core. It is testing our communities. It is testing our country. And it is revealing painful and awful truths about oppressive systems that are really just coming into broad daylight. Going through this will change us. It has already changed us in many ways. It is messy, transformative work, and we are right in the middle of it, wondering if we can do it. Wondering maybe if we can stir up some good trouble as we go through this. Wondering if there's something on the other side we can help build as we move through this. But we are right in the middle of it. And it reminds me of a story from Mark Nepo from his book, The Book of Awakenings, that I want to share with you. In this book, he shares a very brief reflection on how a baby chicken, how a baby chick is born. And he writes this. From the view of the chick, it is a terrifying struggle. Confined and curled in a dark shell, half formed, the chick eats all its food and stretches to the edges, to the contours of the shell. It begins to feel hungry and cramped. Eventually, the chick begins to starve and feels suffocated by the ever-shrinking space of its world. Finally, its own growth cracks the shell, begins to crack the shell, and the world that the chick has known begins to come to an end. Its sky is falling. 
As the chick wriggles through the cracks, it begins to eat its shell. In that moment, growing but fragile, starving and cramped, it's world breaking, the chick must feel like it's dying. Yet once everything it has relied on falls away, the chick is born. It doesn't die, but falls into the world. Mark Nepo continues. The lesson is profound. Transformation always involves the falling away of things we have relied on. And we are left with the feeling that the world as we know it is coming to an end because it is. Yet the chick offers us the wisdom that the way to be born while still alive is to eat our own shell. When faced with great change in self, in relationship, in our sense of calling, whatever it might be, says Mark Nepo, we somehow must take in all that has enclosed us, nurtured us, incubated us, so when the new life is upon us, the old is within us. That's the end of the quote. Going through it, through COVID-19, through birth, through distance learning for our kids, going through beginning to see clearly all of the work that must be done to build a more racially just world, all of the work that must be done to end these systems of oppression and harm, that can feel like something is dying. And sometimes that thing needs to die. And sometimes it's something we've held so close for so long that it feels like we're dying as we look out on the world. And in many ways, things do need to die. Things are dying. But this book, this book we're going on a bear hunt gives us a clue about how to get through it in these moments when it feels like the world as we've known it is dying. This book, isn't called, I'm going on a bear hunt. It's not about the I, it's not about the individual, it's called we're going on a bear hunt. And it's we who can't get over it, and it's we who can't get under it, and it's we who are gonna get through it together. Alone, I don't know how my wife and I would have made it through our son's birth, but our birthing doula was witness and with us, and coach, and comforter. We went through it together with her as our son came into the world. And as a faith community, we are committed to being with one another, even in this time of physical distancing. That looks like a lot of things. That looks like checking in on one another, making phone calls and emails and setting up Zoom meetings, or if you can negotiate consent, it might mean setting up a walk around a lake with someone or sitting in the backyard, whatever it might be. That looks like talking about how our hearts are hurting because we cannot see and visit the people that we love or the or people who are sick or ill in our lives. Sometimes that looks like naming our fears and being real about what is happening in our lives. Maybe we're about to lose our job or our housing or our healthcare and we need to call in support. These are the ways we can be with one another. Many of you have heard me say over the years that church is like this gigantic ocean. I use this metaphor of an ocean. And sometimes we rest in that ocean. We can lie back and feel the love of this community, feel the hands of this community holding us as we 
build our strength again as we rest and let others carry some of the struggle with us for just a little time. And then other times we show up and we are those hands. We are that larger body holding someone else who is struggling. And sometimes we are the ocean and sometimes we need that ocean of care and love and support. However you look at this, it is no joke. We need one another. We need one another. We witness one another crack out of those metaphorical shells that feel like they're killing us. We witness each other fall into the world having gone through the gauntlet, whatever that gauntlet is. We witness each other wandering through the valley of the shadow of death and then emerging somehow into new life. Not a life without grief, but a life opened up by grief. A life opened up to greater love and care and compassion. How do we get through it? We do it together. We have to. We can't go through the blinding snowstorm alone. We can't go through the muck alone. This is a time for community, for sharing resources and sharing care, for reimagining how the world might look. We need loving witnesses who see our lives and our struggles and can reach out a hand so we don't sink into that muck. And we can be that loving witness and reach out that hand as well. So friends, it doesn't have to be bears. It doesn't have to be stuffed bears. But we need neighbors and friends and strangers and fellow church members to give us a sign, to put something up in their windows, to put something up over their hearts that says, we won't let you go. We got this. We got you. We got one another. In a time like this, we need to hear and we need to tell one another. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We have to go through it. And we have to go through it together. May it be so. And amen. And blessed be. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.